You know, it's weird how we tend to see people as representatives of something. We talk to them like they're representing something. And so we talk to them the way we want to talk to that thing. Yeah, I remember probably like 14 years ago now, I was working for the census. I worked in the field just doing, um, like basically just uh, identifying where living dwellings were. Basically, like we drove around, like I drove around by myself and I had this little handheld computer thing and I just identified where dwellings existed. And a lot of them were already identified, so it was just confirming them. And then, like, if people had some weird other little mother-in-law or something that wasn't on there, I had to add that, that kind of thing. Uh, and then later I was an office supervisor towards the end of it. But when I was out there working, like, you know, you'd run into people. And people are, of course, suspicious. Like, who's this person walking up my driveway? Who's this person knocking on my door? And a lot of what I was doing didn't really, like you were supposed to talk to everybody. Like you were supposed to knock on everybody's door and be like, hey, I'm with the census. Because it was, it was months before the actual census was done. But it was like you were supposed to knock on people's doors and be like, hi, you know, is, is there more than one residence here? Just that kind of thing. Uh, but most of it you could just see. Like if you went to a property or a house, you could just tell how many residences were there. And so I didn't even need to talk to people, but you would see people, of course. And, you know, there's some people who just the fact that you were working for the government, they would treat you like you're the government. And I remember this one older guy, and he was like, oh, well, uh, you know, I'll only answer your questions uh, if you can tell me who your boss is. And I was like, my boss? Like, my mind went to, like, my immediate boss, who's, you know, an obscure person, like, not somebody that this guy's going to know. So I was confused, and he's, and I was like, my boss? And he's like, yeah, you know, the, the head of the blah, blah, blah department. Like, whatever department of the state that oversees the census, I don't know if it's the U.S. Treasury. It's one of those things. I don't know which one it is. The Department of such and such. The Department of blah, blah, blah. Um, but whoever it was, it was the former governor of Washington State, Gary Locke. Gary Locke. And so he, that was the answer to the question he was asking. Like, he's like, I'll only answer your questions if you could tell me who your boss is. Uh, and, and he was wanting me to say Gary Locke, which is like, yeah, that's my boss, like, so many... That's like... There's like a hundred people between me and Gary Locke. I'm just a kid out here working for the census, collecting address data. There's a hundred... There's probably a thousand people. There might as well be a thousand people between me and Gary Locke. But this guy had this kind of... And he, when I, I knew the answer, somehow... I was just like, oh, Gary Locke. And he's like, oh, you know, huh? Oh, you know? And then he answered my question. But it was still just this sort of attitude, like, you know, it didn't matter that I'm just a kid trying to earn a living. 
it's like he saw me as a representative of the government. And it was almost like he had that question at the ready. The sort of guy where it's like he's just ready to meet a government employee, no matter who they are and what they do, so that he can kind of give them a little attitude. And I'm no fan of government employees. I'm no fan of the government. But still, I would never think to treat just an ordinary employee working for a government agency temporarily. I would never think to treat them like they're anything other than just a person doing a job. Um, Later, when I was working in the census office, one of the first things I had to do was call and organize like a hundred training sites. I had to find like a hundred different locations spread throughout Western Washington where they could hold census trainings, training people to go do the actual census. And you needed it for a whole week. And so I had this massive list of locations. Like looking back, like I remember calling out sick for a couple of days just because I, I, I couldn't keep doing it. Having to sit there for an eight hour shift just cold calling different places, being like, hey, this is Eric from the Census Bureau. Uh, we need a site to hold a training in, and uh, I noticed that you have a, a banquet room. Can we use that for a week? Like, just calling and asking was just awful. Closest to telemarketing or anything like that I've had to do. But worse, it was like I was working for the government, trying to allow, trying to convince places to let us hold a week-long training for free in a room in their facility. And the list was like everything. It was like churches, pizzerias, you know, obviously VFWs, American Legion halls, swap meet halls. But I remember that a lot of restaurants, because restaurants have private rooms, and but just all kinds of things. Schools. Just any place imaginable, just calling and asking if we can use their space for free for a week. And so I understand it was an absurd demand, like, I get it. But I remember I called this church in Vader, Washington. I think it was a Baptist church in the town of Vader. It's a small town way south on I-5. But I had to do this for... A bunch of different counties and stuff it wasn't just my area like I had to arrange trainings for yeah pretty much all of uh, Western Washington from basically Olympia south and like it included Skamania County just just like a heavily wooded I mean there's very little in Skamania people believe Bigfoot lives there and stuff um, but anyway, I called this church Invader, like Darth Vader. And I remember the, the pastor, I talked to the pastor, and he was like, Wait a second, you're telling me that the government wants to use, you know, use my church, you know, for free? You're telling me? He did that whole thing, and I and it, it, honestly, what I was thinking, and I think I even said this, I was like, I know. Yeah, I know it sucks. Cause I mean, yeah, you you'd think like I mean, it makes sense why like for budget reasons, they'd want to have places host this for free, and there's this idea that it's like, 
the census is noble. It's like, oh, it's collecting the information about the people. There's this idea that it's like you're, you're doing this great service. So people would want to help the census by hosting them in their, the spare room of their restaurant for a week. But yeah, with the pastor, it's like, I, I know, man, like you'd think the government would have a budget for this. Like you'd think that if the government wants to use, you know, private establishments to host their trainings, they, they could at least give them, I don't know, a hundred bucks a day, something. Especially like, because I remember calling places like, and some of them allowed us to use it, but like in a pizzeria, they'll have like the party room or the banquet room where there's, you know, an extra long table. It's where you have private parties, private pizzeria parties, like calling and requesting to use those. Like, I understand it's ridiculous, but I just remember this pastor just taking on this tone of voice. Like once again, it, it seemed like preloaded. It wasn't an organic reaction. It was like, it's very scripted. Same with the guy being like, I'll only answer your questions if you tell me who your boss is. The head of the entire uh, Washington State Treasury, your boss. Uh, it's kind of the same tone as that guy was just like, you're telling me the government wants to use my church, you know, for free? No. I guess it's just, you know, it's like treating people, too, based on their roles. It's like when someone talks down to a waiter or treats the waiter more like their role than the person that they are. Like, I'm not saying you have to be super friendly with your waiter. Like, I, I actually would rather not be. I actually would rather not be. You know, I'd rather not spend too much time talking to the waiter but there's they're a person doing a job is how I see it. Like their job is to, you know, serve me. I'm paying good money. I you know no, but their job as long as like they get my order right and you know they're they're polite. That's about all you need from a waiter. But when people just see them as a role or as a representative of the the restaurant and yeah like if you work for a place you represent them but you can't forget how you know thin that is you can't forget how fake that is but it's like when when people uh you know treat like i like i've said before like you know restaurant dining is a way to feel like uh you know you're a lord and you have a servant for the next hour. Because there was a point in time in history where, you know, the common person just didn't have that experience. You know, the common man, like, didn't have somebody just waiting on him like that. And now it's like for a, you know, a relatively small fee. Like, you think about how expensive restaurants are and they're insanely expensive. You know, I'm very frugal. I can't imagine you know, going to restaurants that often and spending that much money. But still, like you're obviously not just buying the cooking and not just the experience of going out to eat. You're also, you know, paying to feel like a lord.
And then this person too, it's not just that they're paid to be your servant for the next hour. It's that then they're also like kind of performing to get, you know, a tip to make you happy so that you tip more. So there, it's not like, I mean, some waiters like try to entertain you and stuff, but it's like at the very least their behavior is impacted by the fact that, you know, if you make the Lord happy, the Lord will, you know, give you an extra gold coin, slip an extra gold coin to you for making him laugh. So you're paying for that experience. Um, and some people though, like they, they walk straight into that where it's like, oh yes, I will be treating this like it's my servant. This person is just a mere, you know, representative of this establishment that I'm giving my hard-earned money to, and I have high standards. I have expectations. I mean, I had a situation today, I mean, that's, that's something interesting about this job that I'm at now, where it's like dealing with angry customers regularly. You know, on the furniture side, it's like, you know, every week there's going to be one or two issues. There's going to be, you know, some damage maybe during a delivery. Or there's just going to be somebody where like they're, they're, the sale got messed up somehow. I mean, the biggest one is just like getting it to the person. Like, because some of the sales we do, you know, just about, I mean, we get our deliveries out way quicker than a lot of furniture places. Like things, you know, orders don't sit there for months or anything like that. Uh, we usually get things to people within a few days, rarely more than a week. Uh, but sometimes we'll we'll sell stuff that's direct from one of the manufacturers we work with. So basically they place the order and we have to pick it up from the manufacturer usually less than a week later. But we have to estimate the delivery because, you know, if we don't know when exa the exact day we're going to get it, you know, we don't want this person expecting the delivery on that day. Um but sometimes it's like when people interestingly like when people decide they want or need furniture it's like they want it now it's amazing how much of that there is like these people have often been looking for a while these people have often had all the time in the world to look for furniture like there's no real urgency of why they need it now but uh they well they'll often be like oh, can, can you deliver it today Oh, so you can deliver it tomorrow. And rarely is that possible. I mean, it's never possible to get same-day delivery because everything is delivered out of our warehouse, which is like an hour north of here. It's a warehouse for multiple stores. And so it's, you know, delivery startup there. So it's like we can't, we're not delivering it out of our store. And even if it's something they bought at our store, it, it has to be sent up to the warehouse up north, an hour north for delivery. And we only, we only do that a couple days a week. So anyway, it's just, you don't, uh, you know, you just can't deliver it to them that day. It's impossible. There's no way to do it. Uh, it's very difficult to get next day delivery. You know, sometimes two days you can make it happen, but still it's like people have this sense of urgency and then, you know, sometimes you kind of give them an estimate and then uh, they don't like that though. They have these meltdowns. 
it's infantile you know it's they, they become these babies and i'm sure this is something that everybody who's worked in retail before knows or customer service or anything but i mean i'm new to retail so getting to see it firsthand is interesting uh, like we had a lady today where it was like we had to pick up her furniture from the manufacturer so there was a you know it took a little while like and by a while i mean like five or six days and uh you know as a result though like we couldn't schedule her delivery until today and then the soonest available delivery date is tuesday but like she was wanting it tomorrow and so like one of our sales guys let her know and then like somebody i think it was her mom called me and she was older like her voice kind of had this slur to it like almost like she'd had a stroke but she was just like she wasn't yelling like i've dealt with a lot of yelling i've dealt with a lot of like just angry abusive people but this lady she was calm but she was just like i'm so unhappy i'm so unhappy and she kept me on the phone for so long just saying that over and over again and i explained the situation to her and she was like this this just makes me so unhappy this uh, you know tell who you need to tell and i was like well i'm the manager you know uh but I'll take that into account. And she just kept me on the phone for so long. And what's interesting is like, I've had people just screaming at me, but it's usually relatively short. Like they're just getting it out of their system. But this woman just kept me on the phone for a really long time. Just, you know, very upset. And what she kept saying was just like, Oh, we needed that furniture this weekend. Uh, she's like, we just moved to a new house and, uh, we're going to be sitting in camping chairs, eating off TV trays until Tuesday. And I'm just thinking, like, it doesn't sound like you have it that bad. And the other thing I thought, too, is if you move into a new place and you don't have all your stuff, you get, you get that very, like, short but fun like camping in your own home experience. Like, this wasn't that because I wasn't moving, but I remember I went through a period... It's like 2017 in my old house and I, I just didn't feel like making the bed like there was I didn't I think I was like washing the sheets or uh, you know just washing the bedding and I didn't feel like making the bed and I was drinking a lot I was partying a lot and so I just you know put my sleeping bag on the mattress and my bed was really low to the ground it wasn't the mattress wasn't on the ground but it was it was like a box springs and a and a mattress with no bed frame you know so it was high enough that i was like a little bit elevated but you know it was pretty low to the ground and so i just threw my old red sleeping bag on top of the mattress and just slept that way for about a week and i remember being like this is exciting i feel like i'm camping in my own home like i wake up and it feels different I go to bed and it feels different. And you know, after about a week, I was like, I, I want my bedding back. You know, I don't want to just be sleeping in a sleeping bag on a mattress forever. But still, it was there was a novelty to it. Like I said, it has to be short. You know, it's uh, it, it reminds me of that experience too. Like when I was a little kid and my family would go on trips. And my mom would sort of like set up camp in the hotel room. Like... Like, she'd do her best to make it, like, uh, I don't know. She'd, she'd do her best to make it feel like, like, she, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at. Like, 
to make it feel like uh, like a simulation of home. Like if your mom would like make you coffee or, you know, some kind of food just as best she could in a hotel room. It always felt like very novel and cool. Like, oh, we're improvising this. Oh, oh we're just, uh, yeah, like we're doing something different. And so when you move and like you, you have to kind of, I don't know, I, I, I could be here all day thinking of times that I've had that feeling. But when this lady is like, oh, we're just going to be sitting in camping chairs and uh, eating off TV trays until Tuesday then. I was just like, yeah, I could see like if you have severe health problems or something, you don't want to just be sitting in camping chairs. But you could make a cool nest or something. Like you just like pile up all your bedding. You can figure it out. And so I get the idea that like when they placed this order, they had it in mind that their stuff would arrive right after they move into the new house and they could get situated. But one, like they had, you know, they had the wrong expectations about like when exactly they'd get it, whether that was the fault of the salesperson or they just didn't listen or what. It doesn't really matter. Just the fact that like their, their expectations were wrong. And then when their expectations weren't met, they're just so upset. Instead of being like, oh, well, we can't control this. You know, let's have some fun with it. Let's camp. You know, it's the same feeling, uh, you know, like when the power's out. Like when the power goes out and you accept it. And you're just like, oh, I can have some fun with this. Oh, yeah, I'm going to light some candles and read. I'm going to do something with this instead of just like sitting around waiting for the power to come back on and hating hating what's going on, being bored. I'm going to figure something out. I'm going to do something, you know, with this time. It's the same kind of thing. Oh, hey, the situation's different. But anyway, like like when this lady was so upset, it's like you know, she's talking to me like, I'm just a representative of this. And I am. I'm a representative of the company. I'm a representative of, of the whole thing. But it's like if you were like a, a, a real human being in that moment, like if you weren't just like lost, you know, lost in your feelings, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this is just some guy doing his best to get me furniture it's nice that I could spend $3,000 on furniture and move to a new house. But uh, I guess there'll be a couple extra days sitting in camping chairs. Life sucks. Fuck it. Fucking hell. Oh my God. These people put me in hell. Oh my God. They, they, because we're not getting our furniture. They put me in hell. They put me in hell. That's, that's how people act. They're like, because of you, they put me in hell. Because of you, I'm in hell. <laughs> and it's over minor stuff. I mean, of course it is. You just put me in hell. 
that's how they act they're like oh my god i'm i'm just surrounded i'm i'm inside of a flame right now i'm inside of a flame hell's all around me oh my god did you know that because we're not going to get our sofa until tuesday we're going to be sitting in camping chairs and that's freaking hell oh my oh that's how it is I've never thought of that before. That's a new one. I just thought of that right now. Like, that that's the, the reaction you get. It's like, you, uh, you just put me in hell. Just put me in hell. You just put me in hell. You just put me in hell. The amount of times people do that. I mean, that's kind of what it is. Like, when you see that other side of somebody... And what they're basically saying to you is like, I'm in hell right now. Do something about it, please. Do something to get me out of hell. <laughs> Do, <laughs> Do something to get me out of hell. Do something to get me out of hell. Do something to get me out of hell. That's what it is. Do something to get me out of hell. People ask you that a lot in, in other words. They use other words to ask it, but that's what they ask you a lot. I mean, it's kind of what this is. This. My favorite. I think I talk about that every episode, but I can't. It's one of those things that you can't unsee it, as they say. As soon as I just broke down so much communication to like people coming up to you being like, This. This. Oh my God, it's this. It's this. You know, how much communication is that? Like people you know coming to you. And, that, and that's part of it. You can't avoid it. You can't avoid this. You know, you're, you're always going to have a this. Like I have them all day, every day. Like dealing with that angry customer today. That was my this for a little bit. And you know, I went to somebody right afterwards. I was like, oh, I just talked to this lady this. I talked to lady this. Because you just got to do it. You can't, you can't actually, you're, you'd be mute, you know, in a walled off room if you didn't tell people about your this now and again. But you just have to be careful with it. And you can't take it too seriously. But, uh, you know, just realizing like that so much communication is just someone, it's your friend texting you, oh, th th this... Oh, I was doing so great today, but then this. I was doing so great today, but then this. And then, you know, your coworkers, your people you work with, people who work for you, anything like that, they just, they pull you to the side and they're just like, oh, this. Oh, today it's this. You know, and you just go, oh. Oh, Okay. But a lot of what that is, too, is it's like, I'm in hell. Because often when someone presents you with a this, they want something in return. They want, you know, some sort of advice. But usually there's no reasonable advice. Like, there's no advice they'll take. They just want it from you. They want a response. They want you to, they want you to think about their this. Like, when someone acts like they want your advice, but you know they're not going to listen to it or follow it, 
What they actually want is to know that you've had to think about that thing. Oh, hey, today it's this. What do you think I should do? This? And you say, oh, well, I think you should maybe do this. Or maybe you should do that. And they're like, no, because of this. No, because this is this. You know, people often challenge your advice or just not take it. Because they don't, they don't need your advice. They don't want your advice. They just want to know that you thought about their this. And uh, what they're basically ask, asking you is, like, I'm in hell, get me out. I'm in hell, get me out. I'm in hell, get me out. You know, I'm, I'm in hell and uh, do something to get me out. That's what they're asking, you know. <laughs> I'm in hell. Do something to get me out now. But then you're like, oh well, you know, you just uh, oh, there's you see that there's a there's actually a path right there. Just walk out. You just leave the circle. Leave the circle of burning fire. I was like, oh no, but but this is here. But, they don't know what they're going to do if they leave that. But uh, it's why you got to have fun with it. And I mean, I imagine like if you work in uh, food service or something, I've never done it. I, I don't, just don't think I could. I just don't think I could be a waiter. Because you're dealing with a whole different level of this. You're one dealing with the whole, like, I'm your hired servant for the next hour. Hello, I'm your servant. My name's Eric. What may I get you, Lord? How may, how may I please you further, Lord, so that you give me one of those shiny gold coins as a reward for being a good servant tonight? You know, beyond all that, it's just like dealing with you know, angry, hungry people, people with just weird standards, you know, I mean, so many people like pretend like they know what a good meal is, like they pretend like they're these connoisseurs of food, like, oh, I know what fine dining is, I know what's good, I know what's good, this isn't good, this isn't good, and I'm in hell, I didn't pay money, you know, I'm in hell. I'm paying good money, and I'm in hell. Get me out. Excuse me. I, I asked for this to be unsalted. This is salted. I'm in hell. I asked for the butter on the side. Looks like you, you put the butter on it already. I'm in hell. And I'm going to drag you into my hell. That's what it is, like, I'm in hell, get me out now. What that really ends up being is like, I'm in hell and I need you to be in hell with me. I'm in hell and I need you to be in hell with me right now. Um, yeah, I mean, like, how many interactions are exactly that? And if you don't go into hell with them, 
people, sometimes they get even more angry, but sometimes they just kind of are neutralized. Like when they realize that you're not going to enter hell with them, they just, they get kind of confused. Because if they get you mad, you're in hell right that second. You, you know, you teleport into the same hell fire circle that they're in. And they're like, ah, you're here with me now. Like the angry customer, if we would have known that, uh, you know, you were going to screw it up, then uh, we, we wouldn't, we we're, we're going to be sitting in camping chairs for the next three days. She said, oh, that sounds great. Sounds like a fun time. Sounds like maybe you guys will be able to create like memorable experiences out of this. Sounds like a good memory. Oh, hey, remember when we uh, had to sit in camping chairs in our new house for a couple nights? And we really made a bunch of memories. Remember we did this? Remember we did that thing? Oh, it was so funny. It was so funny seeing Opa in the camping chair. And what they're actually probably doing, you know, is sitting... Like right now, they're probably sitting in camping chairs. I mean, they're probably asleep. But uh, what they were doing before they went to bed is they were probably all like sitting around in camping chairs looking at their phones. That doesn't sound fun. But sitting around in camping chairs making memories, that sounds fun. But to them, it's hell. And I mean, even just the idea of hell, like going back to that pastor in Vader, the Vader Baptist Church pastor, you're telling me the government wants to use my church? And not pay me? You gotta be kidding me. Like what that guy, the guy who's saying to me is like, the thing you just suggested is hell. You want me to go to hell? You want me to feel like I'm in hell? You want me to feel like I'm in hell? And I mean, you see it, I mean, like, it's something I'm acutely aware of right now, just with employees and stuff, where, I don't know, I remember my, my friend Nick saying, many, many years ago, I think we were drinking something, and he was just like, a bunch of little hells. You know, so the, uh, people are just, you know, a bunch of little hells. And I thought that was like such a funny visual, like each person is a hell walking around like in each person there's a hell just walking around and it's very visible but even people who aren't just you know living lives of total hell you get a glimpse of their hells for sure like I've said before about embarrassment and anxiety where when someone feels embarrassment what they feel is like I'm dying and I'm going to hell that's so embarrassing. I'm just, I'm dying. Whereas being embarrassed is safe. It's like Ramdas, you know, his joke about meeting a ghost and asking the ghost, like, well, so what's death really like? And the ghost says, oh, it's completely safe. Yeah, I love that one. 
But it's the same thing for like embarrassment, humiliation. Oh, it's very safe. It's completely safe to be embarrassed. But when we feel embarrassment, we're taken on a just the elevator straight to the bottom of hell. To the point where we remember it forever. Like, I remember, like, little things, stupid little things where I felt really embarrassed. And I've never forgotten them. I've just held on to them. I don't think about them all the time. Like, they don't ruin my life. But I, I, never, I never forgot them. And once in a while, I remember them. And the feeling is like, oh, I never, you know, you remember it to be like, I'm never going to do that again. Remember how bad that was? I've used the example on here of like those times in your life where you see somebody that you kind of know in public and you think they wave at you, especially if it's a girl. They kind of wave, they wave at you and like you think that they're waving at you. So you wave back and then you realize they were waving at somebody behind you and like that, that feeling you get. Even though it's not at your expense, like they just happen to see somebody maybe they know better or like better and they waved at them. And uh, when you accidentally wave back, it's like you, you feel this death. I'm such a fucking idiot. Oh, fuck. I'm fucking idiot. You know, it's like you, you really um, just lose a grip on yourself in that moment. And I can remember specific instances when that happened. Like remembering like going to a, you know, some sports game after school in junior high. And I saw this girl that wasn't really a friend, but I kind of knew her, you know, everybody knows everybody. And I saw her kind of wave. And then I waved back. And then I realized she was waving at this other girl behind me. And I was just like, oh, it wasn't even that I had a thing for her or anything. It was just, just a girl. And it's better that she was waving at another girl because if she was waving at a guy, you know, that I would have melted on the, at the, on the spot, even though I didn't have a thing for her. It's just something about it. Like, it's like there's a, there's worse hells than others. But I never forgot that moment. And, you know, it was so unimportant and it's silly. But I just never forgot it. But yeah, any kind of like anxiety or embarrassment puts people in hell. Like someone who's, you know, having an anxiety attack is in absolute hell. You know, planet Earth as we know it might as well be the hottest part of hell in that moment. But, uh... One sec here. But yeah, I was thinking like I see with employees because I I really see a side of them that I don't know. You might not be exposed to if you, if you weren't in management. But like I think about this kid who works for me. He's an amazing worker. You know, by far one of our best workers, maybe our best worker these days. But he has these just his severe anxiety. And it comes out in the form of like complaining and talking shit about other employees. And he's otherwise perfect. So it's like, this is just, every person has their shadow. You know, it's, everyone has the Jungian shadow. You really get to see that in my position where you're like, oh yeah, this person has, you know, this side of them, just, it's, it's all this. And then this side, oh, it's all this. 
and it's like someone who's otherwise perfect but then it's like they their other side of them is kind of this this backbiting snarling sort of uh, attitude you know and uh and when you're complaining about other people you're in hell you know it's one thing that if it, it you can do it like because we all are constantly being pulled into the orbit of somebody else's hell we're all constantly pulling everybody else into the orbit of our hell but we um but if you have fun with it and you, you laugh about it i mean humor it's why humor is just you know the ultimate it's the ultimate spell but it's also the ultimate spell breaker it's it's a way of managing all this stuff it's a way of neutralizing all this stuff. Like when you say to yourself, oh, that, that person's really bothering me. Oh, what that person is doing is really bothering me. If you can find the humor in it, you've just unlocked it. You have a lot more control. I mean, I started to realize that because I used to get so upset at bad drivers because, you know, someone who's just like speeding down the highway, like weaving in and out of traffic is what they're doing is so dangerous and causes so much unnecessary stress at the least. You know, it might cause an accident, it might cause a death, but at the very least, it's just extremely stressful. And I used to just be so mad at those people. I used to be on the highway and be like, oh, like, the guy's driving so recklessly, oh my God, look at the fucking asshole, oh, you fucking asshole. You know, I used to be that way about it, clench my fists, but then, I remember one day, and I still, I'm like, oh, I got to be careful around that person. I don't like what they're doing. But one day I just, I, I was watching this guy just zigzag through traffic at 90 miles an hour. And I, I just started cracking up. I was like, it's so ridiculous. He, he goes out into the world and does that. He decides that's a good idea to do that. And he, had, he was in a convertible, and I remember I could just see his head. And I was like... That puny little man up there. And by puny, I just mean it's like he, he just looked like this small man from far away. This puny little head sticking out of a car. And I'm just like, he's just, you know, he just can't resist. And I just was cracking up at it. And my friend Nick and I had a joke about that. Like, oh, you're going to have to do this again. You know, like on some sort of reincarnation level. It's like, oh, if you're doing that, like, oh, you're going to have to do all this again. You're going to have to repeat this one. You're going to have to come back and, you know, and repeat this. You know, you're going to have to do another round on this earth. You're not getting liberated after this one. But, uh, you know, finding the humor in that, like something that would otherwise really upset me. Somebody cutting you off in traffic, that kind of thing. It's just like, oh my God, oh. But as long as you're safe, like, there's really nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, you can't be hijacked by it. And we had this customer, this middle-aged black man, and he had tried to uh, apply for financing so he could pay off the furniture in installments. But the financing company declined him 
but he had a ton of money. But he had just bought a house, so his credit was all weird. Like, if you just make a major purchase, like a house or, you know, it's just something very expensive, like, you are you can't, like, use your credit right away. I don't know how it works, but it's, like, your credit's tied up in that. And so in his case, like, you know, his, his finances were great, but he didn't get approved for financing because his finances are all tied up in this new house. But it just caused him to go off on a rant for about a half hour. Like his wife was, you know, sane and, you know, just buying the furniture, like giving us the information we needed. But he was like, I can't believe it. Like they, he's like the government, you know, it just, it turned into this never ending rant about the government. And then he's like, and then it culminated in him being, and this is all because he, he was ranting about like the way credit and financing work. But then he started complaining about the government, and then it culminated in him being like, you know, Donald Trump could kill somebody. You know, Donald Trump could kill somebody. And he, he ain't going to jail. You and me, we're going to jail. Like, these guys, you know, they... And I was like, yeah, that's how all of it works. You know, I was just like, I, you know, I agree. We kept just saying, yeah, we agree. We agree, man. And he was just like, in hell he, he was in absolute hell for the next half hour like just getting declined because his financing is like tied up through a house right now so he couldn't finance more just that was enough for him just to be like he's like this country you know this country it don't work this country just don't work man he kept saying stuff like that Like, but this all, it led to just this unraveling of like, the government's terrible, this country doesn't work anymore, it just doesn't function, politicians get away with everything, Donald Trump could kill himself, kill himself, <laughs> Donald Trump could kill himself, Donald Trump could kill himself, man. Uh, Donald Trump would kill himself. No, Donald Trump, according to this guy, Donald Trump could kill somebody, and he's not going to jail. Which is funny timing, because he had just been arrested. This happened, like, right, like, the day after, I think, Trump's fell got arrested. And so it's like, he didn't even kill anybody, and he got arrested. Like, your point doesn't really work, man. Like, Donald Trump just got arrested for some weird, abstract crap, you know? Like, stuff that doesn't even make sense. So it's like, obviously, he can't kill somebody. But in this guy's mind, like, all this stuff is related. Um, but it, it, what he was doing, though, is he was just, like, a man screaming in hell for the next half hour. And he wasn't mad at us. He wasn't upset at us at all. He liked us. But he was in hell doesn't matter, you know, if someone might like you, but if they're in hell, they want you to be in hell too. They're, they're going to speak the language of hell. Oh, you're speaking the language of hell to me right now. That's what it is, though. You're speaking the language of hell. Like when someone asks you for advice when they're in hell... They expect you to say it in the, in the language that they understand at that moment, which is the language of hell. The gwidge of hell. 
And you know, I mean, this is a cliche to point out, but people spend a lot of their lives in that state. Like, uh, I met somebody new. She's really great. But I'm so worried about it, I'm in hell. I'm in hell. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you got a crush on uh, that, that girl you met, huh? Yeah, but it's causing me so much worry that I'm in hell. Oh, so you're dating her, huh? How's that going? Honestly, I spend a lot of that time in hell. <laughs> oh, she broke up with you, man. I'm so sorry. I've been through a few of those myself, man. You know, if you need anything, I'm here. Well, actually, now that you mention it, I, I'm in hell and I need to get out. I'm in hell and I need to get out. That's my song. <laughs> I'm in hell and I need to get out. I'm in hell and I need to get out. Um, I'm in hell and I need to get out. I'm in hell and I need to get out. Help me get out of hell. Um... What was I going to say? No, I mean, that that's what, uh, that's kind of what you're looking for. I mean, if you, you have a, if you have a, eh, I can't speak. If you have a friend and, like, they just met somebody they really, really like. I really, really like her. I really, really like her. Uh, you know, they'll want to talk to you a lot about it. If, like, it hasn't been realized yet. Like, if a relationship or whatever, if interest hasn't been realized, mutual interest hasn't been realized, like, they'll just want to talk, oh, I think she likes me. Like, I noticed that, like, when we were at Bradley's party, that um, when I would say something, she would listen. And she laughed at a couple of things I said. You know, I think she might like me. She, she liked some of my Facebook posts. You know, I think I think she might like me. Do you think she likes me? Oh, she she did this. Do you think she likes me? That's hell. Um, that's that's definitely hell. And you're like, can you can you explain this to me in in hell terms? And then it's like, oh, you know, we, we've been dating for three months, but um, you know, sometimes like she doesn't answer my messages like when I when I want her to, and um. You know, she. I, I've noticed that, like, she's not paying as much attention to me. Uh, help me, I'm in hell. Help me, I'm in hell. Help me, I'm in hell and I want to get out. Help me, I'm in hell and I want to get out. Help me get out of hell here. Can you help me get out of hell? Uh, oh, this is broke up with me, and I'm, oh my god, this is the worst hell I've ever experienced. I just, I can't stop thinking about how hard this is, and how much I miss her, and I, you know, I, I can't stop feeling like I'm in hell, just burning, that's so, so bad. Help. Um... And like what you, if you're experienced in that, like you know that it, you can revisit, like it can happen to you at any time. Like you think that, you think it's no big deal. I've been through this. I've been through this. I, I had my heart broken when I was 18. 
I've had my heart broken like five times. I know what to do. Oh, I'm in hell. I'm in hell. Oh, it happened. I'm in hell. It happened and I'm in hell. So, you know, you know that hell can still hit you at any time. Um, but yeah, we spent a lot of our time in that hell. A lot of time just worrying. And you're not going to stop. Like, I've realized, like, I'm never going to stop worrying. I'm never going to stop feeling that. I'm never going to stop feeling, uh, you know, a certain amount of that hell. Just a certain amount of that hell. Help me, I'm in hell and I want to get out. Help me, I'm in hell and I want to get out. Help me, I'm in hell and I want to get out. Help me, I'm in hell. Help me, I'm in hell and I want to get out. I mean, like, it's only been a week today. It was actually a week ago right now at this time that the SWAT thing was ending. You know, I spoke so much about that the other day. One thing I didn't mention is that, I mean, that was, that was big hell. I mean, that was the, this neighborhood was hell at that time. And, like, I chose to kind of get the most out of it. I mean, that's kind of like my camping chairs. Like, I got home and the the road was blocked off and then it just got more and more intense and crazy and, like, there was no way to sleep. There were explosions later in the night. There was a, a, a hatch sniper who came out of a giant armored vehicle. There was, you know, chemicals and smoke in the air. I wasn't able to relax. I was just like in an uncomfortable position, standing on a bed, like looking out the window, talking into this the whole night. Batty was losing it. Batty was just stressed. I mean, that was just, uh, it was it was hell. And I could have taken it and been like, oh, this is, this sucks. Oh, this, this is so awful that like this guy is having this standoff with police, it's so bad. Oh my god, and like I'm so mad that this is going on outside my house and I'm, I'm, I, I gotta go to, I was sick all week and now I gotta go to work tomorrow and I'm not gonna get enough sleep and you know, I'm stressed and I'm worried. This is hell. I could, you know, I could have chosen to be upset about it, but I was just kind of like, this is something different. You know, I might as well have been having to sit in a camping chair in an empty house that night. You know, it's not what I was planning on. But I was kind of like, well, this is going to be a different night. This is going to be a memory. And then, meanwhile, the guy in that house was in absolute hell. The guy having the standoff, he was in total hell. His mom was in total hell. And his hell got, it blew up big enough to suck the whole neighborhood in. He sucked the whole neighborhood into the orbit of his hell that night. And it didn't even get as bad as it could have. But one thing I didn't mention on here, because I haven't recorded since then, is two two days after the 
SWAT incident, the standoff. I woke up for work and I looked outside and I, I see cops again. And they have big guns. Not a SWAT team, but just, you know, maybe three SUV cops with guns. And then I see fire trucks. And I'm like, oh, what, what now? He can't, like, I was like, he can't have been released already. And so I go out, and the firefighter says, like, there are guns out here. I'd go inside. He says, you know, if I were you, I'd stay inside. Like, you know, there's guns. There's, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And I was just like, how is this possible? But I just, I ignored, because he was a firefighter, I respect firefighters, but because he was a firefighter and not a cop, I was like, he can't force me to stay inside. I was like, I, I gotta see what's going on. And so I, I see like cops and firemen like outside of that house where the standoff was and the doors all, the door was knocked off the hinges. So the front door is just a, has a plywood board over it. One of the windows just has plywood over it. But then I see there's smoke coming out of the, the bark on the front lawn. And then this older lady walks over to me and she's like, hey, Eric, I'm, uh, she's the mom of the guy. And I, like I said, like I've lived two doors down from these people, but I really don't even know what they look like. And she's the lady, she's the guy's mom. And she's like, hey, like I, I got here this morning and there was like, you know, a bunch of smoke coming out, you know, from under the house. And I was like, what? And she's like, my son's still incarcerated. She's like, he's a good man, but you know, he has like some mental problems. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, she's like, I knew you'd understand Derek. And which is interesting because I don't know her. I've never talked to her before. But like, she's like, I knew you, I knew it was something you'd understand. Like, I, I just knew you understand kind of thing. And I was just like, yeah, um, really nice lady. But it was weird because like, you know, the night before, or two nights before, I think it was the night before, I had learned that, you know, this lady's son, you know, makes videos of himself having sex with weird, like, furry, anime-style dolls. And I'd seen his writings online. But the thing is, it, it didn't make me feel weird. I'm not one of those people where I'm like, oh, the, I feel weird because this is his mom, and, like, I found out all this stuff about him. I'm just kind of like, my only thought is, like, I wonder if she knows. She know about all that? But anyway, like, so, you know, I talked to her for a minute, very nice lady. She said he was still incarcerated, so obviously he didn't cause this smoke. My first thought, though, is I was like, oh, I wonder if, like, uh, since they were lighting off explosives and stuff in front of the house, I was like, did some ember or something, like, stay lit the last two nights and then just, like, reignite something? And then... Uh, I went inside and came back out and like the cops and firefighters were leaving and like the cop came up to me and he's like, Hey, so yeah, like, uh, you know, she got here this morning and saw that there was smoke 
And he's like, the weather conditions, you know, it doesn't really make sense that the bark would be on fire, but, you know, she smokes, so maybe that's how it happened. But yeah, like, uh, there's no fire or anything. Because, like, she was saying to me, like, someone must have gotten in the crawl space and, like, lit a fire or something. And I'm like, oh, man, like, it couldn't have been her son since he's still locked up. So it's like, did some crazy person, like, sneak under the house and try to light it on fire on top of everything else? But the cop was like, no, there's no, there's no fire actually coming from the house. It's just like the bark was smoking. Maybe it was just like residual hell that was still there or something. I don't know, but I was just, it was a, a, a false alarm, but it was, you know, freaked me out for a second where I'm like, oh no, they're back. I was like, did they release him and he's doing it again? But, uh, yeah, it was interesting, me like, to actually talking to the mom. But, uh, anyway, like, that was a good example of the hell that you inflict on other people, where it's just, like, you put her through a hell, put the neighborhood through a certain hell. Fortunately, I have, like, the perspective or something just to be like, well, this is a wild one. This is a fun one for us to think about tonight. This is a, a nice camping chair to sit on in my living room. This is a nice sleeping bag to sleep in on my own bed. Oh, tonight I'm sleeping in a sleeping bag on top of my mattress with no bedding. This is a different thing to do. I mean, it's kind of the same feeling too. Is like when you, as a kid, when you found like a weird place to put your body, um... Like, we used to have these rectangular laundry baskets. And, uh, like, I could fit perfectly in them if I, like, scrunched up my knees when I was a little kid. And so sometimes I'd be, like, watching TV or something, and I'd just sit in one of those. And I'd kind of, like, play around in it, like, get in and out of it. And there was one time where my mom had a migraine and couldn't take me to school, so I just like stayed on the floor of her room watching TV the whole day. And a very memorable day because I watched like all of Nickelodeon. I watched Rugrats. It was just like a marathon. I don't think I've ever watched so much TV in one day. It's like from the early morning until the time I went to bed, I just watched TV. And uh, I remember though that I spent like hours in one of those laundry baskets I just had my legs all scrunched up and I was just, I felt so comfortable in it. And then I couldn't get out. But it was like the novelty was so fun. Like the novelty of like, I'm going to sit in this weird thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit in this laundry basket for hours. It's like how some kids will like, I don't know, they'll like crawl under the couch cushions or they'll like find some weird place to fit their body. And they're like, this is different. It's almost like when you lay down in a certain part of your house where you never lay down and you just kind of like look at the ceiling and your surroundings and you're like, this is a different vantage point. This is a different way of seeing the room. That's kind of what it is when something weird happens. It's kind of what it is like when, when a certain hell happens where you're like, oh, this is a different way to see the room. This is a different way to see things. You know, so... 
I mean, that's how I treat all these things. I try to, at least. Oh, here's a whole new way of seeing the room. A little bit of hell to it, but hey, you know, let's have fun with that. Because, I mean, you could go to literal hell and just be like, yeah, this is kind of painful and uncomfortable, but a uh, really interesting place you got here. If you go to hell and start, like, commenting on, like, oh, hey, you ever notice that? Oh, hey, there's a lot to look at here. Lots of, huh, this is interesting. I think they kick you out. I think that's the way out of hell. It's just to be like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is, I'm, I'm sweating a lot. And, the, you know, that, that fire is burning me. There's a, a weird little demon poking me with a pitchfork. But, you know, hey, this is interesting. This is different. Never thought I'd see this. Second you say that, they're like, get him out of here. Get him out of here. Because one thing you got to realize is like, you're never going to rehabilitate hell. Like if you go to hell, you're not going to change hell. You're not going to make hell any better. But what you can do is just be like, oh, this is a very interesting place I'm looking at here. I mean, I remember saying that when my mom died. Interesting. This is interesting. Oh, wow. This is, this is an interesting one, huh? This is one of the most interesting moments. I, I This is the most interesting thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, I think you could say the same thing if you go to hell. No matter how hard it is, no matter how bad it is, being like, this is the most interesting thing that's ever happened to me. But how do you tell someone that who's in hell? Oh, yeah, to get out of this place, all you have to do is go, like, just look around for a second and, you know, take a, a breath and just look at it. Don't feel anything. Don't feel any way about what you're seeing. Just uh, just take a look at it. When someone's upset about something and tripping out, hey, no need to feel anything. No need to feel any way about this. Just, uh, just kind of take it in for a second and go, huh, huh. I'm in hell and I want to get out. I'm in hell and I want to get out. But I don't think anybody even thinks about getting out. I don't think they actually think about the ways that you get out of hell. Because I think there are ways to do it. sun 
reveals her hills and plains. I see a land where children can run free. 